0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Rural Leaders Podcast, where we're interviewing leaders from across the spectrum of rural America inspiring and equipping rural leaders to act in their local community. My name is Dana Peterson and I'm joined by my co-host Richard Fordyce. Good afternoon, Richard. How are you today?
1: You know Dana, I'm doing well. I hope you are. Um, and <clears throat> you know I just uh, I really I really like the the lead in to the podcast. It 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 kind of explains what the podcast is all about, and truly, uh, rule America matters. Rule Rule is relevant, and um, and so as we as we navigate through the podcast with different episodes, as Dana indicated, we're going to bring rule leaders uh, for you to meet, and and in some cases for us to meet uh, to uh, to understand what's going on in their communities and and what's what's what are great things that are happening. Uh, across uh, our rural areas of the country.
0: Yeah, and it's great. You're in your dining room in Missouri, I'm in my dining area in Kansas, and it's our hope that these conversations are comfortable, like friends gathering around the the dining room after Sunday dinner. And so um, thank you all for joining us today, Um, getting good feedback about the content as well. As the people that we've had opportunity to have conversations with, really are bringing some great things for people to think about, uh, but also to implement in their local communities. Have you been getting some feedback too, Richard?
1: I have, Dana. And you know, it's interesting that what we want this to look like is a conversation around the dining room table. And believe it or not, Dana, I'm literally sitting at my dining room table. Uh, and, you know, it is. It's been a lot of fun to have folks, um, you know, say that they, they've they caught an episode and they really thought, um, you know, that the guest was compelling and had some good points and wanted to learn more about uh, maybe, maybe a topic that was brought up during the podcast. And uh, certainly we know that that will continue to happen. And as, as Dana said a minute ago, you know, we're getting a a little bit more comfortable um, doing this. We're not broadcasters, um, you know. I'm a I'm a farmer from Northwest Missouri, and uh, and I know Dana's a farm girl from North Central Kansas. And uh, but this has been this has been a great journey. It's been a lot of fun, and it's gonna it's gonna keep getting better. So, um, yeah, so yeah, great yeah. great feedback from the folks that I've that I've talked to, um, and just looking forward to what uh, to what's next.
0: And I think our guest today is going to be a ton of fun as well, right, Richard?
1: Yeah, he, he is. Um, so our guest is a is a farmer and an entrepreneur uh, from Elverson, Pennsylvania. You're going to meet him here in just a just a minute. Um, but he's got uh, he's got an interesting uh, perspective on on rural life and farming and entrepreneurial uh, endeavors. And so we're going to meet him here in just a minute. Um, he also uh, had the opportunity or or not the opportunity to work with Dana and I uh, in Washington um, in the last administration. So uh, we're gonna hear a word from our sponsors, some real important news um, from them. And then we're gonna introduce you to our guest for this week's podcast here in just a minute.
0: My name is Blake. I received the Heart Chance when I was two weeks old. I play defense for the Red Hot Tornadoes sometimes my heart starts pounding like faster and faster as I go. I know I have someone else's heart inside me. It makes me feel happy because someone was generous enough to give me a second chance to live.
1: This gift of life was made possible by an organ donor. Imagine what you could make possible. Sign up as an organ eye and tissue donor. Go to organdonor.gov. welcome back everyone to the rule leaders podcast and we as we teased right before the the, the segment uh, we've got a we've got a, a great guest we're going to try to get over several topics um, with our guest but um, farmer from Elverson Pennsylvania uh, Bill beam and I'll before we before we get into questions bill um, I, I want to just say I met Bill gosh, I don't know, 12 years ago maybe, um, when we both served on the United Soybean Board as directors um, and Bill and I hit it off right off the bat. Fast forward a number of years, um, I found myself in Washington, D.C. as the administrator of the Farm Service Agency and needed some help in farm programs and I knew that position needed to be a farmer and I called Bill. And it's funny because when I called him, uh, he had lost his phone and he didn't even know who called him. Um, but he did, uh, ultimately he did agree to come. And he, so he worked with Dana and I for, for a good bit of time um, there in Washington. And, and I think, you know, we were, we were great friends going in and obviously stronger friends um, coming out. So Bill, welcome to the Rural Leader Podcast.
2: Well, thank you, Richard. And good to see you, Dana, also. Um, this is uh, all true, what you said. And uh, if I remember right, uh, I'll never forget the first night I met you and Renee. Um, I actually got snowed in in St. Louis, spent an extra night there, got to uh, chatting with you and Renee. And uh, I remember you had been in, I think it was Top Producer or Magazine on the front cover. And I still remember going home and telling my wife, I said, you know what? This is going to be a pretty cool deal because I just met a celebrity. So, um, <laughs> you know, you know, of course, our history goes on from there. But uh, it's been uh, it's been great knowing you and Dana and uh, I wouldn't trade any experience for the world. Maybe one or two, but ninety nine point nine percent of them have been awesome. Yeah. So thank you
1: for that. Yeah. There may be a couple we want to we might want to rewrite. Um, <laughs> so I think what's interesting to begin with, and Dana, can I ask the first question? Um, yeah,
0: please.
1: Go is, ahead. Mm-hmm. is um, you know, the first time I went to your place, um, I was I was just struck by. And I know we're going to have listeners that are in a similar place that you are uh, but uh, about where their farm is located, you know, close to a metropolitan area, but you are farming in the shadows of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I know that's got to present some challenges, but I would guess it also presents some opportunities too. Could you, could you talk to us just a little bit about, about how that is to farm um, that close to Philadelphia?
2: Yeah. So, um, yeah, you're right. It does present some challenges and, And Pennsylvania is not exactly known for wide roads either, but, um, that's a side note. Um, I actually have a farm where I can see the skyline of Philadelphia, literally when we're driving to the fields. Uh, so that's how close we are. Uh, my home base is about 30 miles from Philadelphia proper, but I will say the city has moved way out beyond, um, that 30 mile, uh, city limit, so to speak. And, um, it's 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 literally in some ways uh, urban sprawls all around me, and in fact, in my lifetime, uh, you mentioned challenges. In my lifetime, I started farming in the mid '80s. Um, I have lost over a thousand tillable acres to various forms of development. Well, you know, whether it's houses, roads, golf courses, schools, um, you name it. Um, I've actually, you know, lost it because of my close, uh, you know, closeness to the cities and the people. And, um, and it it's, it's, it's a huge challenge. So a lot of times you don't know if you're going to have a piece of land from one year to the next. In fact, this year, when we were planting, um, I had probably 500 tillable acres that we, uh, literally would call the landlord and say, look, the planners are in the area. Um, are we planting it this year? Or are you going to build houses or whatever the case may be? Warehouses? Um, it's, it's, you know, everything above. So, um, that that's a challenge. And in fact, uh, we just, uh, we were, the boys are thinking about buying a new planter and the discussion is always, do we make that kind of an investment? Uh, when we don't know how many acres we're going to be farming next year. So, uh, you know, and that that's not to mention the traffic, um, a lot, of, a lot of areas have lost the support. And I know you all have also in the Midwest, but you know, every town doesn't have a dealership for John Deere or Case IH or a fertilizer dealer anymore um, because they have less and less acres. So I'm in a declining area. I think that's the biggest challenge um, for us to answer your question.
0: Yeah. So welcome, Bill. It's great to have you with us. And I, I know in my own life and from... Hearing stories from you, but sometimes those challenges have given you opportunities to do some unique things with your farm, and to maybe try some things that maybe someone without those challenges wouldn't try. So, give us an idea of some of those things that you've adopted uh, for your operation and your business um, that have you know been spurred on from those challenges.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so there's definitely advantages to it. And when I when I graduated from college, um, if you all you know, you're all too young to remember this, but the '80s were a tough time for agriculture, if you remember. And I was looking for I was looking for a job, and um, a man a gentleman approached me, and he had a sawdust business that he wanted to sell because he was moving out of the area and could no longer. Um, Uh, service the business that he had started and and so my business so I bought that business I should tell you but what that what that entails is is we pick up sawdust at various plants so um, places that you all might recognize like Ashley furniture, uh, Ames True Temper, um, um, kitchen cabinet manufacturers, lumber manufacturers, pallet manufacturers uh, there's a lot of manufacturing in my area and there's a lot of let's be honest there's a lot of wood that's grown a lot of forest products that happen here in Pennsylvania so we started that business um, I bought a list of names and uh, we sell them to you know dairy farms but we also have a large equine market in this area so you know and and that's let's face it it's mostly hobby and you um, I would say to answer your question, I have directly benefited from living in uh, the suburbs of Philadelphia, shall we say. And we we have gone all the way to Long Island with uh, sawdust because there's dollars in this neighborhood. You know, I'm 30 miles from Philly. I'm 120 miles from uh, New York City and I'm 120 miles from Washington, D.C. So there's uh, with that um, comes some... Uh, some expendable dollars, and uh, we, we've we been able to capture a little bit of that.
1: <clears throat> so Bill, I do remember the 80s. I uh, My first operating loan was 1983, and it was 19% interest. Um, I remember that very vividly, uh, which was obviously the start of the farm crisis. But anyway, um, so um, just a little bit more about uh, you know where you are that's that so i know i've been to your place multiple times you are the definition of rural but i think i heard you say one time that within a radius of maybe 200 miles how many people live live there like you are you're in a rural area but you are awful close to a lot of people
2: yeah and I, you know and i heard that number and um, i tried to uh to double check that but uh, a very large percent of the pop- population in the United States is within a one-day drive from, from my farm. So, so That gives us and, and my neighbours um, the advantage of being able to um, maybe harvest uh, produce and ship fresh produce to Boston, New York City, uh, Baltimore, all the cities because Um, you know, we're so close and I've never got into growing vegetables. Um, a lot of my neighbors have Lancaster County is just to the west of me. Um, they grow a lot of vegetables out there and a lot of people like to come out there for, I I call it agritourism and, uh, spend a day in Lancaster County and, and go, go buy pumpkins or whatever the case may be. And then go to a corn maze. So they're, they're. There's a lot of people I, and I, I don't want to say a number and misquote, but I would say we have 25 to 30% of the people in this country, probably within a one day drive of my farm. So, um, that that says advantage and disadvantage. Like I just said, one of the disadvantages of that, uh, just to spin off is the cost of land. I had a friend that was trying to buy a piece of land the other day. Um, I think it's about a hundred acres. And, um, he said that the bid on that farm just went north of $200,000 an acre. So now that's going to go for an industrial use. I think they want to build a warehouse on it, but, uh, it was a feed mill uh, uh, that he was uh, hoping to, uh, to build. So he's going to lose that probably. And agriculture land in my area, is also selling for upwards of forty thousand dollars an acre. So, so yeah. the chances to expand um, because of all these dollars and 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 people um, are almost uh, I won't say zero, but it's it's tough, really
0: tough. Definitely. Now, Bill, I also know that you're really passionate about preserving farmland. And you've used a lot of different tools to keep land in agriculture. You know, I think we were all in D.C. when COVID hit and the food um, crisis or logistics crisis and and all of the things that have come since then uh, has, I believe, raised the public's awareness of the necessity of keeping our food supply going. So how are you trying to preserve land in agriculture and in food production? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So that is a passion of mine. And um, let's not forget Ukraine, uh, something else that happened uh, recently. So food security is really, really important. And so I have preserved, um, we own Our family owns about 800 acres, um, 500, 550 of them being here in Pennsylvania. And we have preserved almost every single acre. And what that means is um, most of my land is preserved with, um, with grants from the state and the county. And what they will do is they will pay you the difference up to a certain dollar amount uh, for what your land is worth as a farm and, and permanently in agriculture versus um, development values. So, my, my home farm where I'm sitting today was owned like industrial. It's pretty valuable. I went ahead and preserved it anyway um, and took a loss um, to do that just simply because, you know, we're farmers and we're passionate about farmers. And quite honestly, I have a lot of landlords that are, are also uh, very passionate about preserving open space and land. And so we have a sort of a unique area, if you will, in this, in, this, uh, in this area or town that I live in, Elverson, where we have a lot of preserved land. So the benefits of preserving land, I think, um, really get overlooked a lot of times. And, and by that, what I mean, is so I have a farm and I take my home farm here, it's 140 acres. If I had built houses on it, let's say there's a hundred homes on here. Um, my farm never asks for uh, police protection, extra police, extra fire protection, extra schools, um, trash removal. Uh, we don't have any streets inside my farm that need to be plowed. Um, so there's really, the benefit or cost savings, if you will, to the community. But what I do do for the community is, um, you know, I run a business out of here. I employ people. I grow things. I grow food for people. I, I also, as part of our, uh, which we would do anyway, as part of a farmland preservations uh, agreement, we have uh, conservation plans on our farm. So that means we're protecting the soils. We have nutrient management plans, and with that comes a whole host of other things, such as um, protecting our waters, um, our our vistas. When we drive down the road, you can look across a uh, wheat field today, and uh, you're you're not looking at you know urban decay, if you will, which I think um, is something that is also taken for granted in a lot of areas. So for me. Preserving farmland is probably one of the most important things we could do. I also think that we need to be looking at it in other parts of the country. Um, You may not have development pressure today, but if you get back to my story where I lost over a thousand acres already, it's just a matter of time to Chicago, St. Louis, whatever town it might be, grows out into your farm. And then uh, when those farms are gone, they're gone forever. So. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's ultra important. I think that we need to uh, tell the story of what we're actually doing for the community so people actually realize. Now, I didn't even get into the latest buzzwords that we've been talking about, and that's all the carbon that's sequestered in my soil. So, um, there's a lot of good things going on uh, when you drive by a farm that people don't even think about, besides raising corn, wheat and soybeans.
1: <clears throat> That's exactly right, Bill. There, there's a lot going on. And, you know, I know, I know there have been groups, um, you know, for almost decades, you know, that, that, that talk about, talk about the, the rural lifestyle, the rural way of life, agriculture, and the things that, the things that come along with that. And, and I know that you are a great ambassador. Um, and I've got to think that whether it's farmland preservation your location and the shadows of Philadelphia and just the, the captive audience that you have, there's gotta be opportunities to share those rural values, those rural things that we hold to be very important with the, with, with folks that don't know about that. And, and I know there's a number of people that just, they want to get out of the city on the weekend or on a holiday and experience rural Pennsylvania. And so I know, I mean, you can speak to it or not, but I know that you have lots of opportunities um, to be an ambassador for rural Pennsylvania.
2: Yeah, well, that's, that's something. Um, so I have the the gift of gab, if you will, and um, <laughs> I always I always enjoy the opportunity to, uh, to tell people about uh, agriculture or my farm or whatever's going on. I mean, it goes all the way back to our days when we were on the soybean board and USEC and and all that. But um, just recently, I had a landlord that invited me to speak about uh, open space and preserving land. Um, So we had a group of people that are actually interested in that, uh, might necessarily not understand how agriculture works and all the challenges, if you will, that go with it but it gave me an opportunity to speak one-on-one with them. Um, I've, I've spoke at various events and um, I, I very seldom ever turn them down because I, I genuinely enjoy uh, going out there and meeting and talking to people. It's probably the, the best opportunity is when you're driving down the streets in my area, um combine or a sprayer and you can read people's lips and there's like what is that they have no idea what a combine is and then they get their their phone out start taking pictures of us and uh you know so so there's a lot of work to do we have we have a lot of uh a lot of story to tell and um is it's it's going to be a uh, continuing process?
0: Yeah. So as you've told those stories to people who maybe not don't know about agriculture, what are some of the lessons you've learned in telling the story of agriculture?
2: So the lessons I've learned. That's that's a that's a great question. So. I think, I think one of our challenges as farmers and ranchers across the country with social media, now there's a lot of misconceptions about what we're doing out there. And, and, and by that, what I mean, you know, whether it's um, fertilizers, herbicides, uh, GMOs, um, you know, medicating uh, our, our poultry or our cattle or whatever the case may be, there's a lot of misconceptions out there, quite honestly. And, and I, I find that when I'm able to actually talk to people on a one-on-one basis, and I can explain to them that the fact that we are no tilling, we're actually using less herbicides now here in my area than we were before, because we're not constantly stirring up that new seed base, if you will, and, and, and bringing, bringing them to the top. So um, I think, I think that we just need to get out there and tell the story and it needs to be uh, people, we need to educate ourselves as farmers, but we also need to tell the story because we really have a good story to tell. And we're not out there buying chemicals because we wanna buy chemicals. We're doing it for a reason. And more more often than not, they're gonna benefit from it just like we are.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. That is great, and and I know um, when we talked before before we came on here uh, with the podcast, there's some other things that 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 you w- we're going to share. But you know we're running out of time. We will have you back again to learn more about what's going on um, in Pennsylvania. But before we get out of here, Bill, um, I know listeners will probably want to get a hold of you, reach out, maybe ask a question or two. How can folks get in contact with you?
2: Mm -hmm. yeah so we have uh we have a website um at uh just google beam farms pennsylvania alverson pennsylvania it'll pop up so uh you can reach us there or you can uh email me uh look for me on facebook um we also have a site beam farms uh on facebook and um I will, you know, I'll give you you my email address. It's bill at beanfarms.com with a dash or a hyphen between my last name and the word farm. So shoot me an email. I love to talk agriculture. Well, what am I saying? I like to talk. So uh,
0: be open (laughs) to uh, chat to as many people as possible.
2: Anyhow. But (laughs) But it's been a great, this has been great, Richard and Dana, thank you.
0: Yeah. It has been great. This
1: this has been, it has been. It's always good to see you, my friend. Um, So we're gonna let you go for this time, but uh, you know, don't be waiting by the phone, but we will be calling and uh, try to have you on again uh, to see what's going on there. So as we leave this segment and as we leave our our guest, Bill Beam, um, we wanna say thanks to Bill and and his input and his discussion and our conversation today and we'll be right back after a word from our presenting sponsor.
0: Hey, Bobo, do trees tell each other stories? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that.
2: Hey, why don't we go find out? Listen.
0: Do clouds take naps? I couldn't tell you. Dad, do stars visit their friends? Look! Thank you. Thank
1: you. Welcome back to the Rural Leaders Podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our time with Bill Beam and talking about uh, farming and being a member of the rural community, literally outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, you know, I I knew, I knew it would be a good visit, Dana. I just, I knew we would get to some things that would be interesting to a lot of people. Like, you know, he was talking about, you know, maybe 25% of the country lives within a day's drive of his farm. I have 8,500 people that live in my entire county.
0: Yeah, we have thirty five hundred in my entire county, and and you have to drive a long ways to get to a metropolitan area. So it is very enlightening to spend time with people like us, but and not like us too, who are dealing with other challenges that that we don't necessarily deal with. You know, one one of the things I really enjoyed about what uh, Bill had to say was just the. The appreciation that a lot of people do have for the rural landscape, for our food supply, and for really listening and and hearing the stories of agriculture. Um, You know, living in D.C. for a while, there were lots of people I knew that would drive up to Lancaster County, Pennsylvania for the weekend. And and it is beautiful country up there. And so I think it's really good to be able to uh, preserve that landscape for not only our generation, but many, many generations to come.
1: It, it is um, you know, and it is you are absolutely right. it is beautiful country and Bill didn't get into it and maybe next time we have him on we can talk about the historical significance of that of that part of the country um, and I won't spoil it if he wants to talk about it later but but just yeah. from an agricultural agricultural perspective, um, there, some of the most beautiful barns I have ever seen yes. in my life. And some and some of those are, gosh, what are they? Two hundred years old. Um, yeah. And you know the preservation, the farmland preservation, also I think Bill would tell us that is also encompasses some of those historic um, farm structures and maybe farmsteads. And you are exactly right. People love to see those things. They want to know that they're they want to know mm-hmm. they're still there, um, and they want to see them and they want to know that they're going to stay there. And anyway, I I just, I I thought that was a great, a great visit.
0: Yeah. And I just love the opportunity um, to visit with, with farmers and people in agriculture who are taking every opportunity to tell the story of agriculture, to share the importance of uh, domestic uh, food supply and to really, you know, learn about how we supply food for the rest of the world. Um, which is especially important uh, with the crises that are going on in our world today. So it's a great segment or episode with Bill. Look forward to our next episode here in a couple of weeks. Uh, we are uh, talking with, with friends and colleagues and other leaders from around the country, and we invite every one of our listeners. To send us your ideas for uh, people to bring on the podcast, Uh, people can contact us through email at Dana at TheRuleLeadersPodcast.com or Richard at TheRuleLeadersPodcast.com. And we look forward to getting those recommendations, connecting with those leaders and bringing them on the show. Thank you all for joining us today. I look forward to to listening and learning more about rural leaders in our next time together